Support for Old Kentucky Tales comes from the Jackson Purchase Historical Society, whose mission is to promote the interest, study, and preservation of Western Kentucky's history. Partnering with regional organizations to host events and programs, the Jackson Purchase Historical Society welcomes historians from the professional to the amateur to become a member. There are links to historical videos, biographies, archives, and more about becoming a member online at jacksonpurchasehistory.org. Under the leadership of that haughty woodsman, Daniel Boone, a large party set out for the new land, Kentucky. World seems to be pretty like me. I'm Colonel Harold Sanders, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my Kentucky Fried Chicken. Have I told you you people are crazy? This is Old Kentucky Tales, the only podcast that solemnly swears that none of its participants have partied on the way to a gunfight. Today's title is Andrew Jackson's Kentucky Killing. I am your host, Brent Taylor. To my left is the man who is too hot to handle and too cold to hold <laughs> back his opinions about history, Jason Donner. Uh, that's a country song, isn't it? It is a Ghostbusters song. What? From way back. Okay. I was way off. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I think it was one of the sequels to Ghostbusters. Oh, you're right. Like too hot to handle, too cold to hold. We don't sing enough on this thing. That's true. Also with us is a very special guest, political consultant and host of River City Presents, Daniel Hurt. Thank you for having me. It's very fun to be on this show. You were on mine, so I'm happy to be on yours. Cross-pollination is what that's called in the biz. (laughs) In this episode of Old Kentucky Tales, our main event will examine a famous Andrew Jackson duel that took place in the Bluegrass State. In our bonus material, we'll hear Abraham Lincoln's words in the voice of Darth Vader. And along the way, don't forget to support the fake history sponsors who support Old Kentucky Tales. The products are real, only the sponsorship is fake. Dirt breeds vermin. Of a good housewife who uses Sapolio, it is well said, the mouse is muzzled in her house. Try it and keep your house clean. All grocers keep it. Cleanliness and neatness about a house are necessary to ensure comfort. Man likes comfort, and if he can't find it at home, he will seek elsewhere for it. Good housewives know that Sapolio makes a house clean and keeps it bright. Happiness always dwells in a comfortable home. Do you want cleanliness, comfort, and happiness? Try Sapolio, and you will be surprised at your success. Beware at imitations. Is there a veiled threat in there somewhere? <laughs> that your man will leave if you don't clean your nasty house? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty clear. That's what they're getting at. <laughs> I thought that's what it was. I just, you know, it's one of those that you can definitely tell how old this is because of the perspective. But I've never even heard of this, Sapolio. I've, I've well, it's old. It is old. 1891. So, 18, so did, was that before polio? <laughs> what a terrible name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't Sapolio before polio. rhymes with, right? <laughs> I mean, did they name their cleaning product after a horrible, horrible disease? Uh, I'm not sure how far that one goes back. Yeah, not sure. I don't of think course, that Of course, early 20th century, it was yeah. doing all kinds of stuff, but I don't know they about wouldn't before do that. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I also it, think that the other, uh, the other threat that's veiled in there, maybe it's not so veiled, is beware of imitations. So... You know, if you do copy it and there's a great value brand of Sapolio, it's like, you know, uh, be ashamed of something that were to happen to your corporation. Sapolio. <laughs> and then so now we're going <laughs> to. 
we're going to come after you? Is that it? Yeah, maybe that's But they're it. saying that this house is so bad that the mice have moved in. Yeah. That's pretty bad. And so now you, it's time to clean up a little bit so that the dude doesn't split. Hey, right? speaking of dudes, you forgot about Todd. <laughs> He's now Mike-full. He does have a mic in there. Uh-huh. And so at some strategic time, oh. he is probably going to say something. The magic right? word? <laughs> the magic the word, word is. Of the, day. the word of the day is <laughs> history. And then Todd will just go bananas in there in the other room, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. But more on that later. He didn't talk that time. He's picking his spots. Okay. I'm telling you, he is strategic. He's going to come in and disagree with you. That's what's going to happen, Jason. Oh, okay. That's fine. I don't care. I don't care. Do anything. Do cartwheels. Uh, it's all Enough. but assured to happen You sure now. like duels a lot. What does that say about you, Brent? Yeah, a little Always uh, with the duels. for violence there. No, there's something there. Mm-hmm. You seem like you might burst at some moment. Just come flying no, over that mic stand just, and just attack just me. Just whip out my yeah. uh, my vinyl gloves from the pandemic and start slapping oh, everybody in the face with no, them. No, I didn't mean that at all. <laughs> I challenge you. I challenge you. Vinyl gloves. I challenge you. <laughs> well, if you oh, disagree I get, with oh right. Like, yes. If you disagree with something in the workplace, you know, you can just challenge them to a duel. So you know. Yeah. As or long just, as you don't want to run for governor, then you're in pretty good shape. <laughs> And now for the moment we've all been waiting for... The main event. Round one. So, backstory. We can get away with doing this tale because it did take place in Kentucky, even though it involves Andrew Jackson. Who's not from Kentucky. Who was from Tennessee. Right. right. But close uh, enough. Close enough that... And, and you typically find this, too. Whenever you read about these duels, they always do the duel somewhere else. Hmm. So... Hamilton right, and Burr. That, that was in New Jersey, which had nothing state. to do with anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, are they going to a state that is okay with dueling? I think it's either that or you're escaping the laws because it's right. not happening in the state where you're typically That's, at. I was thinking that it was like the law, if you commit that crime, it doesn't necessarily affect you in your home state. So you go someplace else and do it. Yeah. Well, it complicates things too because it took place in a different state. So it does complicate it. Yeah, and then you say, well, you know, you can't really apply the state laws. So, And back then, the federal beefs weren't too big of a deal. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a legal thing. Yeah, <laughs> People actually get prosecuted for dueling. I know it's always saying, oh, it's illegal there, but did anybody enforce that? You know, you never really hear about no. that. Like, I mean, you hear a lot about these duels, and then it just seems like it kind of just – Meanders its way, <laughs> yeah, almost, and, or they end up as best friends a lot of the times. Well, I you know that it's true. Yeah, it's we, actually true. We, we've seen that with Henry Clay in in this podcast. Well, I wonder how much of that's like male bravado. It's like men will be men, so you know they're going to do it. We just kind of let them do it, and whoever the outcome is is just kind of accepted. Right, and there's a dirty secret, which is sometimes when we do this, it is just a macho thing, and we're not actually there to kill anybody. So yeah. we go through the motions, we fire a few shots, sure. we have a laugh about it later. Uh-huh, don't really want to hurt anyone. <laughs> right. Well, sometimes <laughs> they even fire their guns into the sky, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not shoot at you, Mr. Clay. That's one that we've had on here before. It's exactly right. It's actually rather sweet that way. 
hug it out, bro. Yeah, it's kind of like that. You do, we fired you... our guns into the sky, now let's just go have a beer together or something. <laughs> right. Now, there are other kinds of duels, however, in which sometimes the people really hate each other, and they're actually there to kill somebody. That's true. There would have to be some that were like, let's really do this, because we yeah. both really hate each other. And that's the kind we've got today, gentlemen. How fun is that? <laughs> I assume he won then. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Jackson lived through the duel. Okay. Although, although sometimes you only get one shot, right? So if you both miss, it's kind of done. You can actually reload. Oh, you and can. Yeah, yeah, you can demand a second fire. That, huh. That's in some of these. There's a whole bunch of weird <laughs> rules to this stuff. <laughs> See what I mean, Daniel? He's obsessed with duels. The first line of the first podcast was about how we don't duel. Yeah, that's true. But it's coming. <laughs> I can feel it. Well, the hundredth episode. <laughs> oh no. Oh drat. And then this podcast just blows up. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> they finally did it. Let's listen to them talk about it. <laughs> so the backstory on this one was Jackson's enemies, his political enemies, knew that he had a really short temper. And so they can they can kind of goad him into certain things, especially if you ever say anything about his wife or something like that. Like, he, he's going to be right there in your face. <laughs> I think, is this what happened? I think. Uh, on this one, it was more about, there was an accusation of being a cheater at horse racing. Okay. But, but you know, any of these little things are going to work to kind of push him over the edge. And so Jackson's enemies basically arranged for him to cross paths with a professional gunslinger. And so a guy who really knows how to shoot. And then the idea was that they're going to get mad at each other, and then they'll go out, they'll have the duel, and they can finally get rid of Jackson because this guy's going to kill him. This is uh, Charles Dickinson. <laughs> but they're, they didn't arrange this or pay the guy to do it. He's unaware that this is happening too, right? Or is he in on it? It, it's a little more organic. It's kind of like in between an arranged killing. We just know and like how these two guys chance. would. Right, okay. Yeah, it's, it seems to be something like that. Uh, but the rumor was that they definitely wanted them to get into it. And so that's what's about to happen. Well, that's, it's interesting because they kind of knew that, you know, if tempers were to flare, Jackson's immediate reaction is to go for his gun. So like, <laughs> right. <laughs> You've insulted me. I'm mad at you. Let's go right out there and duel. Yeah, yeah, and that's where we kind of pick up. So they've been through that. They've agreed to go out and fight it out. And with, uh, we'll pick up that story right there. In order to be on the battlefield at the appointed hour, it was necessary to leave Nashville at an early hour on the day preceding. A considerable company of friends went with each of the principals. So the principals in dual lingo are the people who are actually going to be shooting at each other, all of whom were on horseback. Parton, in his Life of Jackson, says of Dickinson, he mounted his horse and repaired to the rendezvous where his second and half a dozen of the gay blades of Nashville, and that just means kind of young fighting guys back then, were waiting to escort him on his journey. Away they rode in the highest of spirits, as though they were upon a party of pleasure. Isn't that interesting? We got all the adrenaline flowing. Well, that's what Daniel was saying. It's just like, uh, just men want to fight. Yeah, it's Or the... watch other men fight. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, watching the fight. Yeah, that's always a, better. Yeah, watch the fight I'm out I'm not in the sure street. that we've gone away from that terribly. No. I mean, it's not dueling anymore, but mixed martial arts and things like that. I mean, we still like to see people beat each other. Yeah, it's right? really... So, right. Bread and circuses of Rome, I suppose. Yeah, not much different. Than, that's the ancient world. Indeed, they made a party of pleasure of it. When they stopped for rest or refreshment, Dickinson is said to have amused the company by displaying his wonderful skill with the pistol. (laughs) Once at a distance of Uh 24 feet, he fired four balls, each at the word of command, Uh into a space that could be covered by a silver dollar. Several times he cut a string with his bullet from the same distance. <laughs> I mean, that, that is this pretty is impressive. Like, so. Yeah. So, <laughs> is all this real, though, you think? He's it's, supposed I to guess. have been... I guess. So he's like a crack shot, too. He's supposed to have been... And an angry best, person. <laughs> right. The best shot in America, or maybe even globally. Yeah. Like, I mean, really? of course, they didn't have a way to compare all that. Sure. But... but He's Make supposed to be really, really, smaller. really good. Okay. Well, how, so, how good of a shot was Jackson? Uh, good enough, because, <laughs> because he, was, he was in more than one of these duels. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the only one for him, and he always kind of came out at the end of it alive. So he's... <laughs> he figured it out. Yeah. He, he might not be number one in the world, but... He's, so this guy he's is up there like, somewhere. Like they're on their way, and he's showing off. Yeah, building up some momentum. Hey, it's going to be real good. We're really going to creating get a him. buzz. <laughs> yeah. Dickinson never seemed to realize that he was to meet in deadly combat a man of great courage and who most heartily despised his antagonist. There was actually a real buildup to all this. They went back and forth a lot. Okay. That took place kind of behind the scenes, and so now they're ready to fight it out. General Jackson believed that Dickinson had done him great injustice and he was fully uh, and he fully made up his mind that if it was possible he would kill him. He fully realized the gravity of the situation. He was to meet the best shot in the United States and perhaps in the world. It was a fight to the death. He well knew that Dickinson would use his utmost skill not merely to disable him by shooting him through the hips, which was the usual way of the professional duelist of the day. But the life of one, and perhaps both, was to be the forfeit of the meeting. How about this thing about getting shot through the hips? I've never heard anything put that way. And how are you accurate <laughs> what? With, with the musket? How are you accurate, that accurate at that distance, with, with this metal ball? And pl- so there's Todd. He's made his appearance. <laughs> a voice from the s- heavens. <laughs> you forgot he was there, didn't so you? you what what they don't know is we cannot see him. <laughs> it's, it's, this, this is my strategic moment. Yeah, he's over there in the control room. <laughs> to give everyone the creeps. So what was your qu- Plus, uh, the well, question? I, I know what Todd's worried about here. Yeah. He's saying, look. Becoming too famous? <laughs> I don't think I have to worry about that. He's saying these people are shooting people through the hips. How yeah. is it that they don't, like, veer three inches off and hit the wrong thing oh, down Oh, I know, I know. That's rude, I would I, think. I, I, I mean, musk, musk, you know, musket, those, those powder, yeah, powder weapons, not. they aren't known for their accuracy. <laughs> right. <laughs> that seems cruel, actually. It's like being gut shot. You know, or hip shot, whatever. All that whole area is, you don't want to just be wounded. I guess it'd be the best way to take vengeance, though, because if it's like, I'm not going to kill him, but I'm going to make his life really miserable the rest of the time, though. Yeah, I mean, that's 
kind of a disabling. <laughs> Todd's thinking right? really miserable. <laughs> <laughs> the great question with him was whether he should try to get the first shot or permit Dickinson to have it. That's a pretty big deal. That's kind of like the coin flip in the Super Bowl. Do you want the ball now or do you want the ball at halftime? But why would you not want the first shot? Yeah, I, I don't. I guess you have the options. Like if the other guy doesn't. Yeah, a lot of times this is portrayed that slowly. I mean, did they not swing around and try to hurry up and shoot, or was it just you get your shot and probably you'll miss? Well, there's a there's a referee, right? And so he's going to call out the the command to fire. Um, Isn't there a number of steps that you have to take? Yeah, like yeah. So they've or, got several paces on this yeah. one. Um, That's how Bugs Bunny did it. <laughs> Three you know, Stooges. <laughs> you did that as TV a kid, people right? People did some homework, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking. I think the reason you would want to take the second shot, if you were going to, would be you'd have more time to aim and line up your shot. True. Like yeah. you just stand there for a minute. You've had yours, so now it's my turn to like really get ready. Yeah. Rather yeah. than just the quick boom and right out the right. But you're probably going to miss from a distance. From, you know. Right, How far right, away right. would they be typically? Um, I believe this one is eight paces, or something like. It'll say here in a second. Okay. Um, but but yeah, it's so, so it's that sixteen. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's what eight times whatever your stride is, right? Maybe about a car and a half, maybe, or <laughs> or maybe a car's distance. Yeah, it doesn't sound very far to me. No, it doesn't. However, shooting with a pistol is kind of hard. You can you can be kind of point blank and miss with a pistol. Yeah, I had to. I I went to a gun range one time, and I don't know. It's like if you're not if you're not knowing what you're doing as far as aiming goes, you can miss real close. <laughs> yeah. I have personal experience with this. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I had a twenty two and twenty two revolver, and I went through six shots, probably as far as me to the soda bottle there, and which is probably four feet or so, maybe. And and I missed them all, but I reloaded, and someone was like, "You got to aim it a little bit lower." And once you do that, then I hit it. And it was like, if you're not prepared for that, then you can waste them all, right? Or you can throw the nerves in there, and then that's going to affect it as well. That's Jackson. a good life lesson: aim low. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's Todd again. He's picking uh, those spots. It's getting darker, right? though. It's getting darker. <laughs> Jackson knew that Dickinson was an expert and that it was scarcely possible for anyone to be quicker in movement. He required no time to take aim, that he would have a better chance in a quick shot, and any precautions which Jackson might take could not prevent Dickinson from getting the first fire. After a long consultation with his friend and second, Major General Overton, they agreed that it would be better to let Dickinson have the first fire. Each of the parties, with their attendants, found lodging in the neighborhood of the battlefield, and before breakfast on the morning of May 30th, 1806, they repaired to the designated spot. So I have a question. What's yes. The, uh, what is the role of the second here? They are like referees. That's an awesome question. So, so the seconds are the ones who are there supporting the principals. And remember, the principals are the people who are actually doing the duel. So with the seconds, they... they um, they really are. They're like NFL referees. How there's a line judge and a back judge and an empire. So these guys are watching over it. They're making sure that everything is fair. They're making sure that everything is going according to the rules. 
that that nobody is taking a cheap shot. So you can't like tag them in, can you? <laughs> no. So that won't work. Just like the NFL referee can't carry the ball. Because <laughs> I was thinking, you know, he's the world's best shot. If he, if Jim could could take the shot instead. <laughs> right, yeah. If you're a principal, you're pretty much on the hook. But these other guys are going to be there to make sure that there's no funny business. The The duels have got all, all these different rules and things that we're supposed to be following. And so they're there to make sure that it's followed. Did they bring their guns? That's how it's portrayed in movies where someone has a, a elegant box <laughs> and you pick your weapon. I mean, how the, you it had to be the same exact that. gun, just um, to be fair. So, so Henry Clay owned a set of dueling pistols. Yeah, that they come in a little box and yeah. they're identical, so that nobody ready. has an advantage. Or, yeah, who wouldn't have a set of dueling pistols, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we, they do make those things to where you're not going to be giving up an advantage by you know using the wrong weapon. Yeah, it would have to be that, like that to be fair. Yeah, yeah, and and they they're sold in pairs just like that. The horseman rode about a mile along the river. Then turning down toward the river on a point on the bank where they had expected to find a ferryman. No ferryman appearing, Jackson spurred his horse into the stream and dashed across, followed by all his party. They rode into the poplar forest 200 yards or less to a spot near the center of a level platform or river bottom, then covered with forest, now smiling with cultivated fields. The horseman halted and dismounted just before reaching the appointed place. Jackson, Overton, and a surgeon who had come with them from home walked on together, and the rest led their horses a short distance in the opposite direction. It's nice to know there's a surgeon there in case... Uh... <laughs> it's just like football, right? We've got the ambulance ready to whisk you away to the hospital in case something really goes wrong. Small crowds gathered. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about it now, General? asked one of the party as Jackson turned to go. Oh, all right, replied Jackson. I shall wing him, never fear. So that's kind of uh, some good tough talk. He's well, posture. I mean, he might as well keep it <laughs> yippee-ki-yay and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that the TNT edited version? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're watching it like in, in uh, primetime television. I don't yeah. know. That's just us. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard our podcast before? <laughs> uh, it's not like... By, by the way, the, the... edge is soft. The TNT version <laughs> of that sentence, seriously, though, is yippee Mr. Falcon. So that's, <laughs> Okay, that's the, sure. That made a pretty, a pretty convincing dub, didn't it? <laughs> Dickinson's second won the choice of position and Jackson's the office of giving the word. Under the agreement referred to above, the person to give the word to be determined by lot has also the choice of position. The astute Overton considered the giving of the word a matter of great importance, and he had already determined how he would give it if the lot fell to him. The eight paces were measured off and the men placed. Both were perfectly collected. All the politeness of such occasions were very strictly and elegantly performed, Jackson was dressed in a loose frock coat, buttoned carelessly over his chest, and concealing in some degree the extreme slenderness of his figure. 
How do you uh, like that trick? Uh, <laughs> so Jackson's a rail thin kind of guy. Yeah. He's trying. supposed to be kind of like six foot one ish and then hardly like barely above a yeah. hundred and some pounds. So he's wearing like loose clothes or thin, something to try he's to look got bigger. This great big coat. Yeah. Part of me thinks that he's wearing that to sort of maybe he'll miss and hit the coat instead. But the other part of me wonders if he just didn't care because he seems like the kind of bold guy that's like, I'm going to do whatever I want. The boldness of Andrew Jackson. He yeah. wouldn't wear a helmet if he rode a motorcycle, in other words. Right. That's he would right. not be seen yeah, with the helmet right. on. That's exactly right. Yeah. Plus, he had a great head of hair, so why are you going to cover <laughs> he that He did up? have some good hair. <laughs> Actually, how old is he at this point? Like, what's his actual age? Uh, he seems old all the time. Let's see here. He's <laughs> you know? 1806. He'd be fairly youngish still. Okay. Um, he was... 30s? Well, he was 13 in the Revolution. Yeah, but not the old white-haired Jackson that we think of. Right. That's going to be later on because he's president in the 1820s and 30s. Yeah, like So this is decades. kind of yeah, yeah, this is this is a little ahead of he's all that. He's kind of wily, kind of kind of seen as eccentric too, so Yeah, that's for sure. He's <laughs> And it's funny, like sometimes his temper is is viewed as kind of overrated. They say that he kind of turns it on and off hmm. as a, as a way to Maybe bully his way through different <laughs> situations and whatnot. So yeah, it's a he's a really complex guy. If you want to read a complex guy, that's definitely Jackson. Dickinson was the younger and handsomer man of the two, but Jackson uh, Jackson's tall, erect figure and the still intensity of his demeanor, it is said, gave him a most superior and commanding air. As he stood under the tall poplars on this bright May morning, silently awaiting the moment of doom. Are you ready? said Overton. I am ready, replied Dickinson. I am ready, said Jackson. The words were not sooner pronounced than Overton, with a sudden shout, cried, using his old country pronunciation, Fair. Can you imagine if that's the word? And you're like, wait a minute. What was it again? Fair. Fair? Fair. Bear? <laughs> What's he saying? Is it time to turn we around? We are wearing masks. That's the, that, that's, that's the signal. That's the go. Bear. You're supposed to be shooting the gun at this point. <laughs> guys like, like, did he hey, just count to three like a normal person? <laughs> Dickinson raised his pistol quickly and fired. Overton, who was looking with anxiety and dread, saw a puff of dust fly from the breast of his coat and saw him raise his left arm and place it tightly across his chest. He is surely hit, thought Overton, and in a bad place too. But no, he does not fall. Erect and grim as fate, he stood, his teeth clenched, raising his pistol. Overton glanced at Dickinson. Amazed at the unwanted failure of his aim, and apparently appalled at the awful figure and face before him, Dickinson had unconsciously recoiled a pace or two. Great God, he faltered. Have I missed him? <laughs> You've all seen this in a horror movie somewhere, right? Yeah. Like they fire the gun and nothing happens. Or just like, yeah, it feels like no, a it's old hit western. Him. He's just like he's just holding on to it, right? Yeah, now. yeah. He took it. He took the shot. That's exactly right. He's like, now get back on your line. <laughs> but you can yeah, imagine he like grabbed it. It's like 
boom, you think he's going down, then he comes back around. Nope, not going down. <laughs> right, that's where I we are. I see how that. It's, yeah. it's, it's the moment of panic for Mr. Dickinson. So. <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly where we are. <laughs> he's back got that to- bulletproof frock coat. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nothing can penetrate that Makes thing. Me think of uh, Back to the Future Three. Whenever he has the the metal plate under his clothes, and they shoot him, and it hits the plate. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a time traveler. This is going to take some getting used to. <laughs> I like it. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> It feels like it might be my conscience. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Technology has, has improved to the point Technology where brought, your, your, your conscience is now the filtering into the uh, yeah. the text. Yeah. Back to your marks, sir. Oh. Shrieked Overton. Hey, you can't just move. You you've got to you got to stand there and be shot at, man. With his hand upon his pistol. Dickinson recovered his composure, stepped forward to the peg, and stood with his eyes averted from his antagonist. All this was the work of a moment, though it takes many words to tell it. General Jackson took deliberate aim and pulled the trigger. The pistol neither snapped nor went off. He looked at the trigger and discovered that it had stopped at half cock. He drew it back to its place, took aim a second time, he fired. Dickinson's face blanched. He reeled. His friends rushed toward him, caught him in their arms, and gently seated him on the ground, leaning against a bush. His trousers reddened. They stripped off his clothes. The blood was gushing from his side in a torrent. And alas, here is the ball, not near the wound, but above the opposite hip, just under the skin. The ball had passed through the body below the ribs. Such a wound could not but be fatal. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of those bad fix that ones. back then. No. Right. So he's just bleeding out. Got him. Just that's above the are. hip. Went through. Yeah. So it, we were talking about like how it probably looked. At that moment, he's standing still, but he looks away from Jackson, just waits. You know, if it doesn't hit me, good. But he's dead now. Yeah. That's, uh, that's where he's yeah. at. And they didn't have anything like morphine to give him either, did they? I think whiskey would have been your best shot. Morphine <laughs> <laughs> didn't come about till the Civil War, I don't think. <laughs> Overton went forward and learned the condition of the wounded man. Rejoining his principal, he said, he won't want anything more of you, General. You're like, that is like a wrap-up? <laughs> that is all. <laughs> that loser is over there bleeding to death. <laughs> it reminds me of like... The, the the referee would just be like, and that concludes the duel between Jackson and Dickinson. Thank you all for watching. So. Right. They had gone 100 yards, Overton walking on one side of Jackson, the surgeon on the other, neither speaking a word, when the surgeon observed that one of Jackson's shoes was full of blood. Hold like, up, the surgeon's not over there trying to save the guy? <laughs> well, I mean, he said, <laughs> at all? Too late. I mean, he, he's Jackson's surgeon. <laughs> he can't oh, just go terrible. over there and operate on this other guy. <laughs> it's What was it, 1800? <laughs> yeah. It's 1799. What do you want me to do? Put a leech on it? <laughs> <laughs> My God, General Jackson, are you hit? He exclaimed, pointing to the blood. Oh, I believe, replied Jackson, that he... Pr- <laughs> 
<laughs> he probably hit me. Uh, like I'm so tough, I don't even notice that these days. <laughs> the most male bravado thing of all yeah. time. I think you've been shot. Your shoe's bleeding. That's nah, fine. Yeah, it's, it's like a movie. Like, uh, he just winged me. That's, That's our say, next just winged me. That's our next project. It's a flesh we gotta, wound. <laughs> we got to make this into a movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, see what I mean, Daniel? <laughs> see what I mean? Yeah. Can I be Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> Say nothing about it there, pointing to the house. He opened his coat. Dickinson's aim had been perfect. He had sent the ball precisely where he supposed Jackson's heart was beating. But the thinness of his body and the looseness of the coat combining to deceive Dickinson, the ball had only broken a rib or two and raked the breastbone. It was a somewhat painful, bad-looking wound, but neither severe nor dangerous, and he was able to ride to the tavern without much inconvenience. That sounds pretty severe. A couple of ribs. <laughs> if I have a rib out of place, I don't feel like I can breathe. Okay, Right. So. I, you know, the only thing I can think of there is they know a really, really bad wound when they see it, and yeah. they're like, well, yeah, this isn't that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, right. get on your tavern. horse. Upon approaching the house, he went up to one of the women who was churning and asked her if the butter had come. She said it was just coming. He asked her for some buttermilk. While she was getting it, she observed him furtively open his coat and look within it. She saw that his shirt was soaked with blood, and she stood gazing in blank horror at the sight, dipper in hand. He caught her eye and hastily buttoned his coat again. She dipped out a quart measure full of buttermilk and gave it to him. He drank it at a draft, then went in, took off his coat, and had his wound dressed. That done, he dispatched one of his retinue. I don't know that word. Do you know that word, Jason? Uh, Retinue. Retinue? (laughs) To Dr. Catlett. (laughs) Retinue. Just like, uh, I think it's like your people. Okay. That would make sense here. To inquire respecting the condition of Dickinson, and to say that the surgeon attending himself would be glad to contribute his aid toward Mr. Dickinson's relief. Polite reply was returned that Mr. Dickinson's case was past surgery. In the course of the day, General Jackson sent a bottle of wine to Dr. Catlett for the use of his patient. But there was one gratification which Jackson could not, even in such circumstances, grant him. A very old friend of Jackson writes me thus, Although the general had been wounded, he did not desire that it should be known until he left the neighborhood, and had therefore concealed it at first from his own friends. His reason for this, as he once stated to me, was that as Dickinson considered himself the best shot in the world, and was certain of killing him at the first fire, he did not want him to have the gratification of even knowing that he had touched him. Oh, man. <laughs> How hard is So he is gallops that? back. This guy. He chugs some buttermilk. <laughs> right. Looks at it like, oh, you know, hides it from the lady, like, oh, don't look upon this. Keeps it a secret that he's even been shot, so the guy dies thinking he completely missed. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of spite. Just out of spite. Hey, you know... <laughs> They said they didn't like each other, so, I mean. <laughs> but he also sent him some wine for him to drink to help. Uh, yeah, I mean, said? there was a couple of gracious things there. Yeah, a couple of gracious but things. He but he must never know that, that he, he hit the me. shot. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Dickinson bled to death. 
The flowing of blood was staunched but could not be stopped. He was conveyed to the house in which he had passed the night and placed upon a mattress, which was soon drenched with blood. He suffered extreme agony and uttered horrible cries all that long day. At nine o'clock in the evening, he suddenly asked why they had put out the lights. They hadn't put out the lights. The doctor knew that the end was at hand, that the wife who had been sent for in the morning would not arrive in time to close her husband's eyes. He died five minutes after. Cursing, it is said, with his last breath, the ball that had entered his body. Pretty gruesome. That is gruesome. That was, yeah, least, that was one of the most gruesome ones we've had. At least he wasn't cursing Jackson. It was the it was the bullet more than it was Jackson. Well, that that is, uh, I guess, a kind of a praiseworthy thing, right? <laughs> didn't do, couldn't do a whole lot for you. You know, in that moment, if you're shot, I mean, all the time, like war, whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were pretty much dead if you took a good shot, and painfully so. Yeah, and you had to just kind of live through it or not. Yeah. General Jackson's wound proved more severe than he had at first thought. It was more than a month before he could move about without great inconvenience. The wound did not heal properly. Twenty years afterward, it caused him great trouble, and it is believed that it ultimately caused his death. Hmm. Oh, okay then. Well, interesting. Still, right? maybe. How might that happen? <laughs> like 50 years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just seems odd that after that many decades it could contribute to that. But I mean, I don't know anything about the medical field, so Yeah, that's maybe a legend kind of a deal, right? <laughs> like Yeah, you can't know 50 years later. Right. It's got to be cholesterol 50, and all yeah. kinds of other stuff, right? <laughs> well, he was just old. What, how, how old was he when he died? Uh, he Probably was, wasn't that old. And, I mean, he was fairly old because – Yeah. Well, he, he had the gray hair. And we've got a we've got an actual picture of him in his old age. Ah. So yeah, it's not okay. just paintings. So, he's so in that, the that's age telling of you that that's getting you up into about the 1840s-ish or something. I don't yeah. know the date offhand. Yeah, at the very earliest. For, okay. Yeah. Well, we got to pay a few bills around here. They don't just pay themselves. A postal card will bring you the particulars about Florida farms. Don't go to a colder climate than Kentucky, but drop the mountaineer a postal card, and we will have one of the most reliable real estate companies to give you the full particulars of the land of flowers. They will explain how they can sell you a farm and give you five years in which to pay for it. Be sure and don't purchase elsewhere before investigating Florida. Just drop a postal card and we'll have them do the rest. Do so today. They are begging you to move from Kentucky to Florida. Yeah. How amazing is that? They're just advertising in Kentucky to try to get you to buy a farm. Yeah, yeah. so these are some people in Florida who want you to move down there. And so now they've taken out an ad in the paper. I see, because my first looking at it, the impression was I have is like people from Slayersville were like, go to Florida. It's great. <laughs> like, you know, don't go to Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. You won't like it there. Don't go to the north because that weather's horrible. Yeah. Come down here. Get out of Kentucky, whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, people are Land dueling there. They're okay. shooting at each other. You need to. <laughs> All but, right. I could totally like live without. The seasons, I think, if I, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you have that dream, like, should I go to live in Southern California? 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think I could. I think I could get really used to that. Where it's I really like can. Rome every day, it's very just nice every day. Just eighty degrees, barely rain. <laughs> I think I think I could really get into it. I get it. I get it. The place you want to live though is like the French Riviera. You go to Monaco or Monte Carlo. It's like high of sixty-seven, low of forty-seven. You know, every day and it's sunny. Yeah. So, just okay. have a lot of money when you go over yeah, there. Yeah, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's weather for them, you know? <laughs> Let me just go sell all that stock. I can't go. The, I mean, California's doable. The French Riviera. <laughs> my first appearance on the oh. show, I have to bring it up. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on into Darth Lincoln. It's both educational and kind of creepy. There needs to be no bloodshed or violence. And there shall be none unless it be forced upon the authority. You can have no conflict without being yourselves the aggressors. (laughs) He went to sleep, it sounded like. (laughs) He finally went down. (laughs) Like a little baby. Oh, man. What did he say? Something about neon? And I couldn't understand everything. <laughs> you can have no conflict without being yourselves the aggressors. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, you like politics and stuff, right? You yeah. Do. yeah. <laughs> You're kind of into it a lot. Like, yeah. too, like, never stop talking about it? Well, I wouldn't go that far. I do yeah. have hobbies outside of that. <laughs> do you like how Brent is comparing Lincoln to Darth Vader? <laughs> Wasn't Lincoln nice, Brent? I didn't know that that was what was happening. (laughs) I think he just wants to do a Star Wars podcast. Is that what it is, Brent? You brought Star Wars up a lot. Yeah, that's... History is kind of getting boring, you know. (laughs) Got to move into space, the final frontier. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Just forget all this. You know, I I do think it's interesting because hearing it from someone that's sort of labeled so villainous, it just seems like Darth Vader's kind of like, you know what? I'm going to be good now. That's all right. You know, everybody's all right. Okay. <laughs> they don't like Lincoln, and yeah. he's saying these things like words of unity. Uh huh. And it's like they don't like him. They've labeled him the villain from their perspective. So it's like he says, "Let's all come together and do these things." So it would be like in Star Wars terms, their version of Darth Vader being yes. like, "Hey, let's all get along, preserve the union." You know. I think that's. <laughs> and you see how it takes a political consultant. Uh huh. <laughs> To, no, to I see it. circle that square, right? <laughs> there we Try go. to make that make sense. <laughs> you like Lincoln, though, right? Uh, Lincoln, yeah. I like Lincoln. I like I, Washington. I, I like Jefferson. I, yeah. I like, you know, doggone it. I like all of them. Yeah. Except for like two or three. <laughs> I like Lincoln. I think, you know, it's one Lincoln's of those, great. It's one of those things where, like, <laughs> he had to. He had been the rules somewhat to save the Union, you know, and he says that like in the movie, in the movie Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, he talks about, you know, when the Supreme Court told him some things were unconstitutional, he just sort of had to, had to ignore it. And I think it's interesting because whether it's the founders or President Lincoln or anybody else, we're all complicated and it's much more nuanced. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's just interesting to uh, ponder those different perspectives. It's tough to have nuance or people to find that these days. Yeah, we're not in a very nuanced climate. It's a scary place to go. Right. Right. 
Yeah, why are you looking That's for nuance t- over there, Jason? <laughs> what, what's not. your problem? I, I went out on a limb and defended Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> we have now turned to the final page of this chapter, but it's all right because Old Kentucky Tales never fails to return. You can download even more episodes on iTunes, NPR One, other places perhaps. If you like what you hear, please leave a review or rate us. Special thanks to WKMS, our producer Todd Birdsong, our guest Daniel Hurt, the Paducah School of Art and Design, West Kentucky Community and Technical College, and the rest is history. 